I would invite you to turn in a copy of your scriptures to Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 this morning. Uh, We're starting a summer preaching series in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Through the month of June and July, all of the elders will rotate and preaching this wonderful book, which is filled with the riches of the wisdom of God. And we're going to just marvel at uh, how awesome this God is that would give us insight into living. And we're going to look at today this example of wisdom, which is really the fear of the Lord. You know, since we, uh, we don't have a second service, uh, the elders, they just said, hey, just preach as long as you want. And um, <laughs> at least that was the instruction I was given. I, I just, I think that's what they said, since we don't have second service, uh, preach as long as you want, brother, go ahead. Uh, So I have prepared a a two-hour sermon for us this morning uh, to be under the Word of God, and I'm just playing. It'll be an hour and a half, but uh, go ahead and turn it to um, Proverbs uh, 1, 1, and uh, we're going to start out. But really, uh, as you're turning in the Scriptures, I just want you to ask the question, uh, how do you know one is wise? How do you know one is wise? And where is wisdom found? You know, this is an age-old question. How do you know a person is wise? You look around and you see wisdom on display in your life. You think about your life and in society and the world we live in. Where is wisdom found? You know, it's interesting. You can find some families, uh, you know, when they're looking at how they relate to one another. And you can see just the beauty in relationships. Sometimes you say, man, that's wisdom. How they just relate to one another as one unit. And then you see some other folks in situations where, have you ever just been around someone that in any circumstance of life, they just know how to honor the Lord? They can look at a situation that would take others several days to examine and figure out how can they best honor the Lord, and they can do this in a matter of minutes. That's wisdom from God. That's wisdom. And you've also seen people that when it comes just to how to use their time, the saving and investing and working hard and having a disciplined and skilled life, you see wisdom on display. But then you've also seen the opposite of this in society, right? You've seen the opposite, where people make selfish decision after selfish decision after selfish decision. They look at this life as just a means to, to gain all that they can, satisfy their own pleasures, and give everybody else whatever's left. They look inwardly to form reality, and they, they force everyone else to live by those standards. We're starting to see a lot of that in society, right? And then they call it wisdom of this world. They believe that they can just acquire skills for living their best life now. Some folks call that wisdom. They see it just as a means to please themselves as opposed to pleasing God. But I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. It is said, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. That's God himself speaking, saying that it's not the wisdom of this age. It's the wisdom that comes from above that makes a man truly wise. And in verse 19 in that passage, he says, for the wisdom of this world, it's foolishness to God. It's foolishness to God to just be wise in this world only. Because the person that's wise in this world only feels as though they can live and and give no accountability to God. But you must understand today that there's only two kinds of people in this world. Those who are wise, they're those who are unwise. 
The wise man fears the Lord. That's the difference between the two. The wise man, he fears the Lord. He has a fear of God that compels him to live a life that worships and honors the great God and King. The Puritan Thomas Adams, he writes this, he says, No man truly loves God more than he that is most fearful to offend him. That's the fear of the Lord. When you're honestly thinking about your life with such sobriety that you want to please God in everything, that's the wisdom that Solomon is going to prepare us to understand throughout this book of the Proverbs. And we'll see that on display in this text. But let me read Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, and I'm going to ask God to help as the word is proclaimed and it's heard this morning. Verse 1, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive and to the youth, knowledge and discretion. You see, the wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Gracious Father, we come now just asking for heaven's help. We understand that we need you in order to hear from you. You want to speak through the power of the scriptures. And I pray that you would grant boldness and clarity that I might be able to proclaim the excellencies of you. Lord, I pray that we would all marvel at the wisdom that's on display in the scriptures and that you would incline our ears. Lord, give us ears to hear and to understand the word. And I pray that your truth would penetrate each and every heart so that you might accomplish heaven's purposes right in this hour. And we ask all this in the blessed name of Jesus, our King. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to talk about wisdom this morning. But it's wisdom understood in the fear of the Lord. And wisdom is a dominant theme of the Old Testament, as it's mentioned over 325 times. You know, biblical wisdom that helped people in the Old Testament to understand uh, the principles and the promises of Yahweh and this covenant that they had entered. And, and not only the principles and promises, it helped them to understand how to practice it in their life. You see, it wasn't just information to store up in the mind. It was a way for them to know this God so that they can better relate to him and to all of those in the covenant community. Be able to honor and glorify God in every situation of life. You see, wisdom had three aspects. The first was knowledge. This term was frequently used, and it was the knowledge that was necessary to basic uh, issues of life to relate to God. How to relate to God. It was the ability to apply what we know to do and to what we have to do. It was information to practice. It's mentioned there in Proverbs 1.20 when it says wisdom, she shouts in the street and she lifts her voice in the square. She was all over the place teaching people right from wrong, truth from error, all these things. And then it said gain understanding. There's another aspect of wisdom, which is understanding in addition to knowledge. It's the ability to discern the difference between these two, from reality and fantasy, from truth to error, 
to be able to have one thing and distinguish it from another and say, this is right and this is wrong. That's in Proverbs 4, 7. It says the beginning of wisdom is to acquire wisdom. And with all you're acquiring, guess what you need to get? Understanding. You need to have understanding to be able to discern the difference between things. That's what Proverbs gives us. And then it also gives us practical application. This wisdom means a person has almost an intuitive response to every circumstance, and they can immediately choose whether or not they're going to have obedience to God or they're going to exercise rebellion to Him, going away from Him. That's what that practical application was. And Proverbs mentioned that, and Solomon does to his son in Proverbs 3.21. He says, my son, let these instructions not vanish from your sight, but keep sound wisdom and discretion. You need to be able to understand in every circumstance how you can honor and please and obey this amazing God. Well, that's the wisdom from Proverbs. And you know what? This is not just theoretical information. It's not just theory. Oh, that this should work out in, in that circumstance. But the insights that Solomon gives, it makes one practical decisions in every dimension of life. Every dimension. You know, you've heard people say, wow, you're so spiritually minded, you can't be any earthly good. Well, guess what? The wisdom that, that Solomon gives, it helps you to not only be spiritually minded, but you can do the most earthly good because you can advance the kingdom of heaven here on this earth. You can demonstrate God's character right before people, and they get a chance to see the extraordinary character of God in ordinary affairs of life. That's what the wisdom of God is on display, and that's what Solomon is trying to highlight to his son and all of the saints that have come after him. And in verse one, it says, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David. You know, Solomon was the wisest man to walk the face of the earth aside from Christ. And you know what he was doing? He was passing these truths down to his son. You know, he was convinced that the next generation of covenant leaders needed to understand how to obey God. And so he did this. And that helps us to see the importance of passing down wisdom. Parents out there, pass down that wisdom to your children. We need to, to pass it to the next generation so that they can understand biblical truth. And then right after that, in verse 2, following, Solomon gives us reasons for these Proverbs. You know, there's a twofold reason for the Proverbs that are written down. And one, it's, it's knowledge. He really wants to give you knowledge, something you must know. But he also wants you to have discernment. He wants you to know what to believe so that you will know how to behave. That's kind of a summary of the Proverbs. That's the purpose. Know what you should believe so that you'll know how to behave. And he unfolds it out. He gives the case for it. He says in verse 2, there's no wisdom and instruction. Having the moral ability to, to govern yourself, no matter where you are, to discern the sayings of, of understanding. You know, this helps a person distinguish from immediate gratification and lasting values. Which one am I going to choose? Am I going to choose to just have self-indulgence all my life? Or am I going to make uh, you know, decisions that will last for a lifetime and even through eternity. That's the wisdom that he wants you to have. You know, you see the uh, animals in the field, they can get caught because they go after instant gratification. I love to fish, and I can get some of the, uh, the craziest bait. I'd be like, ain't no way that a fish is going to bite this. And guess what? I put it out there, and the fish bite. Yank it out, hook, line, and sinker every time. Why? Because they go for instant gratification. And sometimes people live this life just like that fish. They go on their instincts alone. They, they take every bait that society gives them. They say, hi, I want to be instantly satisfied. They go after it and they make that decision. And they suffer the consequences later. 
You need to examine your life. Are you involved with just instant gratification, or do you want long-term uh, principles that will guide your life? Well, that's why you need this book of Proverbs. You know, he says to receive instruction and wise behavior there in verse 3. This means to, in, in terms of just receiving, some people say, well, I just get it. Just give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. But what it, that term really means is it's to acquire wisdom. It says that you have found out that wisdom is so valuable that you'll do everything you can to get it. That's what it means to acquire this wisdom. It's something of great worth. You know, it's only when you value wisdom that you can have wise behavior, because then you'll do what it takes to get it. And that phrase there really is saying this discipline of your life. And wise behavior is not just something that just happens to you. It's something that you do because you want to acquire it. You've got to realize that you don't get wiser by osmosis. You know, it just doesn't happen. You don't get wiser just because you live further on this earth. There are some people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s and have the wisdom of, of a 12-year-old because they've not made good and godly decisions along the way. So wisdom doesn't just happen with age. He said it happens when you pursue it with discipline of life. And then he says righteousness, justice, and, and equity. This is an, an opportunity for us to have the conformity of God's law in such a way that helps us to make good and proper decisions that please him in every situation. Those are the reasons that, that, that Solomon is laying out as to why we need this wisdom from above. And then he gives the reach. He gives us the audience there. Look at verse 4. He says it, it gives prudence to the naive. You know, the naive person is the one that's open-hearted. He's, he's gullible, believes everything. He can really be influenced towards good or for, towards evil. Just, you know, gullible, open. Some people in the world, they say, well, we just need to be open-minded to everything. Well, that's not what Solomon is saying. That naive person can go down a path of error fast because they're easily influenced. But you need to understand the wisdom of God so that you can stand clear of being that naive person. You don't want to have the same ability to be able to influence towards righteousness as you can towards evil. But the naive person does that. But look what happens. You listen to this wisdom, it says it can give you prudence. That's the ability to, to, to seize right measures in life and make right plans. You don't have that when you're naive. You do whatever somebody tells you. But then there's another person in this uh, that uh, Solomon highlights throughout the Proverbs. He says, it's the youth. It's just to the youth. It can give you knowledge and discretion. The youth is the immature people in our life. You know, they, just, they really just lack experience. It's not like they're hostile to God. It's not like they're indifferent towards righteousness. They just don't have enough life experience. And guess what? If you're young people, look up. You can get knowledge and discretion from this scriptures. You can do that. God can give you the ability to have insight. And I praise the Lord. We see some people in their, their 20s, and they're, they've been taught and trained by wisdom. And they're making good and godly decisions in our church. It's been a wonderful opportunity to, to observe that. Many of our young adults, we see that on display. They've been trained by wisdom. And even the wise person here, it says, you can increase in your learning. I love when he says that in verse 5. He says, a wise person will hear and still increase in their learning. What Solomon is trying to help us to understand is that you're never too wise to acquire wisdom. Because as soon as you obtain wisdom and you understand how to live before God, you see that much more that you can grow and you pursue it all the more. And I've heard people say that, well, you know, we just kind of, we're mature in our faith. I've heard that sermon before, preacher man, preach something else. I done memorized Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, preacher man. You're going to preach on it. I done memorized it. I got that. That's old hat for me. But guess what? 
Solomon says the wise man will still increase in his learning because he realized that there's no sermon that he doesn't need to hear. He constantly needs to hear the word of God to be reminded so his mind can be renewed so that he can live a life that's worthy of God. That's the wise person. Usually they say, hey, hey, preacher man, can you tell me something new? You know what my response to that usually is? I say, hey, are you perfect and complete and lacking in nothing? And they say, well, you know, I was just saying, I was just saying, I was tired of, you know, hearing about the Proverbs. I was just, I was just hoping you was going to move on to the next verse, you know, I mean, <laughs> but that's what happens. You're never too mature for the word of God. You need to understand to incline your ear always, and that's what Solomon is helping us. I mean, that might even be just a good question for you. Those of you that are already wise in the Lord, have you made a commitment that you're going to constantly pursue increasing in your learning? You know, that might even be a good life group question this week. How can I make sure that I I never see myself beyond the, the need for wisdom of God? How do I see that? Never getting past that place. And even he says a person of understanding will acquire wise counsel. That's what happens. I love that wise counsel. You know, that wise counsel, it meant uh, to bind something with like a rope or a cord as to how you would navigate a ship. That was what the Old Testament idea was. It was like a, a sailor's out there navigating a ship with a cord. And he says that's what wise counsel is. It helps to navigate you through the sea of decisions that you'll be making in this life. But my question for you is, is who's pulling your ship on the sea of life? Who's, who's helping you navigate and make wise decisions in life? Is it, is it this world system? Is it your best friend just because they're your best friend? You listen to everything they say? Is it an unsaved loved one? You know they don't love Christ, but you love them and they love you, and so you listen to their counsel. Others of you, is it CNN or Fox News? Is that where you get your wise counsel? Do they navigate you and pull you through this life? Or is it God's word? Well, that's what Solomon wants us to, to understand. And that's all introduction. I told you it's going to be a two hour sermon. But really what he is doing is he's laying out the reasons we need this wisdom of God, and you got to understand that. And he gives the, 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 the audience as to who's going to receive it. But you know what the difference is, is the person that's the wise person and the, the one that's the fool? It's the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. And the point of this morning's sermon is this. If you do not have the fear of the Lord, you do not have wisdom. If you don't have the fear of God, then you don't have wisdom. You just have information. You might be able to navigate through this life and obtain a whole bunch of resources. But if you do not have the fear of God, you do not have wisdom. And we'll see two critical observations of this in verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, the first thing that we see here is that the fear of the Lord is required for the wise. It's required for the wise man. You see, the fear of the Lord is required, and that's the, this model for the entire book. It's mentioned 19 times in the book of Proverbs, and it's also mentioned 19 times in Psalms. And guess how many times it's mentioned in the New Testament? 19 times. I mean, that's just, that's amazing that the Lord says that this is something that you need to understand, the fear of the Lord. And you know what this is? It, it really encompasses the, the fear of, of uh, displeasing God. You don't want to displease him. And it also has an element of drawing close and admiration and awe. It has those twofold aspects when we talk about the fear of the Lord. It's, it's getting low in reverence, but it's also drawing near to God in awe and adoration and affection because you understand the fullness of his character. It brings out the idea of, of reverential subordination to the one God 
who is holy, righteous, and just. That's what the fear of the Lord is. Say, man, I, I want to make sure that I please this God. And you see the fear of the Lord when it comes down to just trembling before him because he's a good and holy God. I, I'm reminded of Nahum. You probably say, like, Nahum, what? What is that? In the Old Testament, the latter prophets, Nahum chapter 1, listen to this in verses 5 and 6. It says, the mountains quake because of him, this holy God. It said, the hills dissolve, and indeed the earth is upheaved by his presence, and the world and all the inhabitants in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Survey says, no one. He says, who can endure the burning of his anger? Survey says, no one. It says, his wrath is poured out like a fire, and the rocks are broken up by him. That's the fear of the Lord that should cast over all the earth. But that's not the case. Everyone doesn't fear him. But Nahum, he highlights that just to understand that that's the fear of the presence of this holy and righteous God. And many of you recall Isaiah chapter 6 when he was gripped by the greatness of this God, right? And we saw that vision in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, and it said that one called out to another in the angelic realm, and they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. The angelic hosts, they were bowing before his presence and realizing with a, a holy fear, it said that even the foundations and the thresholds tremble at the voice of him who called out. The temple was filled with the smoke. That's what, what, what uh, Isaiah saw in this vision. And you know what his response to that was? He wasn't flippantly living life. He said, woe is me for I am ruined. He said, because I am a man of unclean lips, living among people of unclean lips. He says, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of the hosts. He saw the holy and the beauty and the perfections of God. And you know what the fear of the Lord does? It helps us to see God for who he really is so that we can see ourselves for who we really are. We see the sin and the filth. You know, we, when, we, when we're in darkness before we, we have a fear of the Lord, we're just walking through life, making decisions, doing whatever we want to do. When you're walking in darkness, you're tripping and you're cutting yourself and you don't even know. But when you, you're impacted with the, the presence of the holy and righteous God, a knowledge of the, the true God of Scripture as, as he's revealed himself, then you see yourself and you, you see the dirt, you see the filth, you see the shame, and you want to be cleansed and you want to draw close to him because he's an amazing God. That's what Isaiah saw in this vision, and that's what the fear of the, of the Lord is. And that's what Solomon is saying we must have as a starting place for wisdom got to see God for who he is and see yourself for who you are. And, and then you'll see how good and gracious and merciful this God is, that he would relate to us. That's the amazing aspect of the fear of the Lord. You see, the fear of the Lord, it, it, it helps us to understand that God's judgment is a good thing. You recall how in the New Testament, let's just turn there in the book of Acts. I want you to see this with your own eyes. If you turn to Acts chapter 5, this is a part of the early church talking about the fear of the Lord. You can see this not only in throughout Proverbs, but you'll see it all over Scripture. But here in the New Testament, this is Ananias and Sapphira. And every time, you know, usually you hear people say that name, people go, ooh. And know, just uh, some fearful things happen with Ananias and Sapphira, right? They kept back a portion of the property. They lied about its value. And, and you see there in Acts chapter 5, you can, 
You can see there in verse 4, it says, while it would remain unsold, this is, this is Peter talking to Ananias. He said, look, when it, this property, when it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And then after it was sold, was it not under your control? And why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? And you've not lied to men, but you've lied to who? You've lied to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard of it. You see that fear? It was, it was trembling before a God who is holy and is not to be treated as lightly. That was the fear of God. And even there he went on to his wife. You can look there at verses 9 and 10. And Peter said to her, why is it that you've agreed together uh, to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? And behold, the feet of the house of those who've buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell as dead and breathed her last. And it said the young men they came in and found her dead. They carried her out and they buried her beside her husband. And you know what that says in verse 11? It said that then great fear came over the whole church and all over those who heard these things. Can you imagine that? The early church? That was their, their evangelism. It was the fear of God. You don't fear God, people die. Imagine that for evangelism. You know, there was one preacher that said in the early church, there was people that was, that was scared to go to church. And there was people that were scared not to go to church because of the fear of God. They said, man, this is, this is a God that we can't play with. He is serious about his holiness. He is serious about his people honoring him and his word. And my question to you is that do you have this type of the fear of God, the fear of the Lord that scrutinizes your ways and helps you to live a life that's worthy of him? You see, this wouldn't have seemed like a good way to, to, to grow a church Having people die, right? Because they don't fear God. But you know what's so amazing? Look at verse 14 in that same passage. It said, And all the more believers in the Lord, and the multitudes of men and women were constantly being what? Added to their number. They were added to the church because they weren't having gimmicks and tactics. They weren't added to the church because they said, You can have your best life now. They weren't added to the church because they say this will make your life more pleasant and you can just have skillful living. They said you can add to the church because we fear God and God will preserve his people. You can walk in the presence of a holy and a righteous God. And he added people to the church. That's the type of fear, Lord, we should have. I pray that God will have that type of fear of him in this body. That it would keep us from error. That it would keep us from making sinful decisions going down a path of temptation and, and calling it easy. This is what everybody does. And, you know, justifying our sin. No, we need to have this type of fear. You know what rivals this type of fear of God? It's, it's a fear of getting caught or it's just a fear of man. But I like what William Grinnell says about this. He says, you know, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. It's the fear of God that's the greatest antidote to the fear of man. That's what we need to have. It's not fearing man. It's not fearing circumstances. It's fearing God and letting him order all these things in our life. Let's highlight the fear of God in this place. That's really what it talks about. You can go back to Proverbs 1 as we're looking at this fear of the Lord. Because really, that's what Proverbs is all about. It's saying that that's the way that you must honor the Lord, is having a, a healthy fear of him. That fear of the Lord it also has an aspect of drawing close in reverence and adoration and worship and devotion. It means that you're so amazed and enthralled by this God that, that you want to please him in every way. And not only do you want to please him, you want to see everybody else please him. 
I'm reminded of Psalm 33, verse 8. It's a beautiful psalm. But listen to this verse. It says, let all the earth fear the Lord and let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. You see, the the psalmist knew and he, he was keenly aware of these perfections of God. The beauty of his holiness and his righteousness and and the wisdom of his ways. And he wanted to honor them. And not only did he want to honor them, he wanted to see everybody else in the world honor them. That was his prayer. And even in this situation, Israel was under uh, oppression from the surrounding nations. And instead of asking for God to curse these surrounding nations, you know what he asked for? He said, "Help, help the fear of the Lord to be over all the earth. To love God and to love his principles and his promises and to stand in awe of him day after day. It's really helped me and convicted me uh, this week as I'm thinking about the fear of the Lord. Do we pray that prayer for this nation? Do we pray that, that prayer for this city, for the world? I'm inclined to say, Lord, do justice to those people that are evil when they go out and shoot somebody. Do justice to that person out there that's, that's the mass murderer. Thinking of Putin. Am I, am I praying for his... De- Destruction? Am I praying, Lord, give him the fear of God. Give him the fear of the Lord. That's what we should be praying for our neighbors, but that's drawing close to him and wanting to see others to do that very same thing. But you know, the beauty of the fear of the Lord is that it it helps to sanctify you in this life, doesn't it? Having a healthy fear of the Lord, that's what Paul talks about in in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He says, work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. He says, go, and as you have this fear and trembling, you have a desire to not want to please or displease this holy God that has saved you. It comes right after this amazing chapter about Jesus Christ, who has offered himself up, and right, has, has sacrificed himself to even death on the cross. It's that motivation, that loving God and having received all of this, that you want to live a life that's worthy of him. That's what motivates us. You know, the fear of the Lord, it, it, it doesn't cause us dread and paralyze us in fear, but it promotes holiness in our life and sanctification that helps us to please a holy and righteous God. It's amazing what happens with the fear of the Lord. But the question continuously this morning is, is, do you have this fear of God that motivates you to live a sanctified life in his presence and a desire to want to see that with others around you? You know, this fear of the Lord, not only is it You can see its nature there in the Proverbs and all throughout Scripture, but you can see that right here in this verse, it says that this is required. It's a necessity. It's a necessity. Verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That one statement unlocks the whole vault of wisdom in the Proverbs. He says it's the fear of the Lord that's the starting point. You see, you don't go past this step and all of a sudden acquire all this wisdom from God. The first step is fearing Him and honoring Him. It says the beginning not only is it the, the starting point, but it's the capstone or the essence of all of the things that you'll do. In Job 28, 28, it says, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that truly is wisdom. That is wisdom. It's fearing God. And departing from evil is understanding. Psalm 111, 10, it repeats this same thing. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All throughout the Old and New Testament, it was the fear of God that was the starting point for you to start obtaining wisdom and insight. And the same thing that he mentions in Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You know who that Holy One is? That Holy One is God himself. 
That Holy One means that if you fear God, you acknowledge that God is holy. Just like we saw in Isaiah 6. You regard Him as holy. And you realize that you're not. It allows you to submit to God by, by turning away from your selfish ways and your self-assertions in life, your own human wisdom, and casting yourself at the mercy of God for His forgiveness. That's what that does. That's what the fear of the Lord does. That's the starting point. The fear of the Lord helps you to understand that God isn't about just your behavior alone. He's not about religion. You know what God desires? Righteousness. That's what the fear of the Lord helps you to understand. It's, it's not religion. God wants righteousness. And the true wise man says, I don't have righteousness myself. I need a foreign righteousness which comes from God alone. And in the church age, guess what? That's found in Jesus Christ. That's the glories of the gospel. The, the fear of the Lord is to understand that you need Jesus Christ. You need him. And you turn from your ways and you pursue Jesus Christ. And God says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what happens. That's that great exchange. That's the glories of the gospel. As we look to Jesus Christ, who took the punishment and the guilt in our place, and he gives us his righteousness, and then we trust in him and live it out. And then how we walk in wisdom well, it's after trusting Christ for salvation, we look to Christ for the wisdom of God. It's looking to Him. As Colossians 2.3 says, that in Christ is in whom are hidden all the treasures and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. That's Christ is bound up in Him. As we look to Him, we see all the fullness of what God intended. You know, Jesus Christ walked in the most perfect way on the face of this earth, feared God and the Father in every moment honored him in all of his dealings, in all of the relationships he had. Every decision he made, it honored the, the God the Father. And that's how we're to do if we're to look to Jesus Christ, God's wisdom and perfection. Everything we need for life and godliness is found in who? Christ and Christ alone. And so we seek the scriptures because in them we see Jesus Christ. You see, because when you're getting wisdom, you're not just getting information. When you get wisdom, you get God. You embrace Him. You get to walk with God on this earth. And then you get a chance to spend eternity. And eternity won't be enough to be able to discover the, the riches of His character, the perfections of His will. It's amazing, and that's what the fear of the Lord is. It's, it's starting now, and, and then you can navigate through life that way, looking to Christ. I love how 1 Corinthians 1.24 says, But those who are both the Jews and the Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And by doing His will, you are in Christ, in Christ who has become the wisdom of God, the righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. It's all found in Jesus Christ. I would encourage you today, if you've been just going to church, maybe you have just been religious in the activity, to pursue Jesus Christ today as Lord and Savior, recognizing that God and and his judgments are true. And he's justified in being able to send you to eternity apart from him. But by the mercy and grace, he wants to give you his son, Jesus Christ. And in that, allow you to have the capacity to understand wisdom. And be able to live it out in the fear of the Lord. Because even as you do that, Proverbs 15 and 33 says it allows us to have wisdom and instruction for life. And you know what? Wisdom isn't just this doorway to start understanding life. It is the, the, the foundation for how we do everything. 
Yeah, in Proverbs 23, 17, it says, live in the fear of the Lord always. You know, you don't just put it on that moment of salvation and then take it off and start living life. You remain in the fear of the Lord in all of your aspects of life. As one theologian said, the fear of the Lord is not like a rocket that once it plunges it out into space, it, it detaches because it served its purpose. He said, no, the fear of the Lord is more like a foundation that you build a house on. And everything else that you add needs to be added to the fear of the Lord. That's what Solomon is saying. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. Add everything else in life to it. You see, this isn't just a book filled with truisms and to help you to have better morals. Some people make the mistake of coming to the scriptures and learning from Proverbs. They're like, man, I'm looking forward to what I'm going to learn so that I can just have better principles of life. You can have better morals and still not have a fear of the Lord and, and stand in judgment. And that's what Solomon is trying to warn against. You can't go down a spiritual journey if you use the wrong starting point, and the starting point is the fear of God. You know, there's some many people that are out there in society. There's some humble homemakers and some faithful laborers that have more wisdom than some of the most intellectual doctors in our society. Some of the men and women at Harvard and Yale that have five or six different degrees behind their name. You can have five or six degrees behind your name on this earth, but then you can spend eternity with thousands of degrees on your body and your soul in torment because you didn't fear the Lord. That's the difference. It's the wisdom of God. It's, it's fearing Him, honoring Him, and then letting everything else in life flow out of that. And then Solomon talks about the fear of the Lord has tremendous blessing, tremendous blessing. Listen to some of the blessing that happens in, in um, 14.2 of, of Proverbs. It says, the fear of the Lord causes one to walk in uprightness. He says, you'll walk, walk in a way that pleases God and pleases men. It honors God and has an exemplary character. The same thing that was mentioned of Job. He was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. That phrase, turning away from evil, is always associated with fearing God. Turning away from evil. You know, some people say, man, I need an accountability partner. I just can't stop sinning. I need an accountability partner. You, guess what? The fear of the Lord ought to be your greatest accountability partner. When you fear God, you have an understanding of, of how holy He is and the reverence that you have before Him and the desire that you want to, to, to not displease Him. That should be the greatest accountability before His presence. It helps you to turn away from evil. And that's what many men and women of the Scriptures have taught us. It's fearing God that helps us to turn away from evil. Another blessing in fearing the Lord in Proverbs 14, 26, there's strong confidence. You can have strong confidence in life that no matter what decisions you make, you don't have to doubt them because they're bathed in wisdom. Isn't that a blessing? You can pillow your head at night, comfortable, because you know you've pleased God throughout that day because you had a healthy fear of God. That's what it, the benefit of that is. In Proverbs 14, 27, it says that the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that you may avoid the snares of death. You know, there's some people that have had a long, lengthy life because they adhered to wisdom. There's some people alive today because they had a fear of the Lord that led to wisdom, and they adhered to that. And they didn't go down the path of error and human folly. But you know what? Ultimately, we need to look for Christ, look to Him to have a healthy fear of the Lord. And that's what the wise man does. It's required that you must have a fear of the Lord that leads to salvation before you can have any knowledge and instruction. But there's a B part to this. Not only is the fear of the Lord is something that is required for the wise, but you realize that the fear of the Lord is rejected by the fool? It's rejected by the fool. 
Verse, uh, B part of verse 7 says that the fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, that fool, it really is a term for someone who is, it, it, it's a term that used for dense or thick, you know, and almost impenetrable. And that was what it meant for the person who's thick brain and stubborn. They, they lack spiritual perception. The person that says, I'm arrogant and flippant, I'll do things my way. Hearing the instruction of God, but you know what it was like? They heard the fountain of the word of God, but they just rolled off the sides. Didn't, it didn't penetrate in any kind of way. That's the fool. The person that says, I'm so dense, I can't even get this wisdom. I'll hear a sermon after sermon after sermon, but I'm only going to even more intensify and harden my heart towards it. That's the fool that acts like there's no consequences before a, a holy God. You see, the fear of the Lord is rejected by the fool because they despise wisdom and instruction. You know, the fool lives as if God's wisdom is worthless, and therefore he'll never pursue it. He says, I don't need it. He rejects the fear of the Lord because he, he really lacks understanding. And that's even mentioned in Proverbs 10, 21. It says, the lips of the righteous feed many, but guess what? Fools die for a lack of understanding. They really don't have the ability to discern truth to navigate through this life in a way that honors God. They lack reason. Even in Proverbs 24, 7, it says, Wisdom, it's too exalted for a fool. And so he doesn't even open his mouth at the gate. It's like, man, I can't get up there. I can't even, I can't even interact in that conversation because I'm thinking about folly and it's, uh, all of its uh, paths. But you know what happens? The fool is, is not that way uh, just alone. It's his nature that makes him that way. It's because of what Ephesians 4.18 says, that mankind in its nature is darkening his understanding. We're born that way. We're darkening our understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in us and the hardness of our hearts at birth. That's the natural state of man. When he comes in and he's born and he lives this life, we're darkened. That's what the fool person, that's, that's, that's what they do is because they cannot understand that. It's almost like what 1 Corinthians 2 talks about. They're, they're spiritually appraised, right? They don't have the capacity to understand divine truth. And they're still in darkness. And so they do things that are only natural. And even the things that are natural wisdom is things that are consistent with the devil's wisdom. In James 3, verses 15 and 16, it teaches us that about the fact that earthly wisdom, it starts earthly, but it's really natural. And guess what? It's demonic. Same wisdom that Satan would like for you to have is to think about things in this life only and never think about what it means to honor the Lord. Go through this life. You can have the most success you can. But when you're excluded from the life of God, you end up gaining the whole world but forfeiting your soul and dying to be the fool. And that's what the fool does. He despises this wisdom. Even this fool's speech, it makes things worse. Proverbs 10, 14, it says men store up knowledge. The wise men do. But guess what the fool does? When he opens his mouth, ruin is at hand. He says bad things happen when the fool opens his mouth, starts spouting out his folly instead of storing up knowledge. He says keep away from the, 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 uh, the fool because there will be quarrels and discord. Why? Because they reject discipline and instruction. That's what happens. But you know it's not so bad that the fool despises wisdom. You know who they really despise? They despise God himself. That's why they, they despise wisdom is because they despise the God of wisdom. They despise him. And that's what you see in Proverbs 1. Look at Proverbs 1. If you look in there in, in verses 20 through 29, it just shows the whole thing. Wisdom is shouting in the streets. But guess what the fool does? In verse 22, it says, oh, how, how long, O naive ones, will you be simple-minded 
and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing and fools hate knowledge. He's even begging. He says, turn to my reproof and you'll live. God says, I'll make my spirit be poured out to you. But guess what he does? In verse 24, he says, because I called to you and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. In verse 25, you neglected all my counsel and you did not want my reproof. They didn't want God. The fool says in his heart that there is no God. They're corrupt. They commit acts that dishonor him because they do not want God's presence. Our society is fastly approaching that, but they just don't want anything about God. They don't want to hear about him. They have a visceral response because they hate God, and they don't want anything that is spoken in association with God or Christ. This fool says in his mind that there is no God. And you know what? This isn't the person that's the most vile offender. This isn't just the mass murderer, the rapist, the person that is most offensive to you. This is a person that can be the most ordinary in society. They can live by their own moral standards, but at the end of the day, they make up their own standards, and they do it in their own strength apart from the wisdom of God. That's what that fool says. I don't want to hear about truth. I want to do things my way. And even in Romans 1, it talks about that, right? It says the righteousness of God is revealed, but men, they do what? They suppress the truth and unrighteousness because they want their own ways. Could that be said of you? Could that be said of you? That you don't want to abide by God's standard, but you want to have a standard that fits your own affairs of life. That's, that's folly on display. And it would be for you to, to look and say, you know what, maybe I'm a Christian today, but I can have foolish tendencies being flippant about my sin or to be stiff-armed to God's truth and correction when it comes. We don't want to be that way. We want to have a fear of the Lord and not to be like this fool who rejects God and ultimately has to pay the consequences. Because in the end of the day, God says he will laugh at your calamity when it comes and you will cry out for wisdom and you won't seek him. Why? Because you chose to hate God and didn't choose the fear of the Lord. That's the ultimate conclusion for the person that says that they don't want to honor God. But as we look at this text, we really can't see that there's only two types of people. It's the wise man and it's the fool. And the only difference is the person that says, I will choose the fear of the Lord. I will choose to stand in reverence and awe of him, to realize the fullness of what he's done, to receive that so that I can live a life that's worthy of him, as opposed to making up my own rules and living by my own standards. I pray that today, as you've heard this text and as you think about the wisdom that's found in Proverbs all throughout the rest of this summer, that you will choose the greatest one, and that is the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. But as you think about this this week, I want you to think about the pursuit of wisdom. Is it a priority in your life right now? Is pursuing God's wisdom a priority? Are you pursuing people in your life that can help you take the knowledge of God in the Scriptures and turn it into application into your regular everyday life? We need to never find ourselves detached from pursuing God's wisdom. And I want to challenge you to do that. Not only this summer as we're going through Proverbs, but all through this life. Make it a lifelong ambition to prioritize wisdom and pursue it. The other thing is, are you passing down wisdom to your children? Those that are under your influence, those who you have the opportunity to, to influence their life, are you passing that wisdom down? The wise man doesn't just store it up, but he, he gives it. He, he gives it on to the next generation so that they can walk in the fear of God. 
And are you passing wisdom around in our church? We need to have a healthy uh, situation where we're just giving wisdom to one another. One of the great vehicles to do this is in life group. It's a perfect avenue for this. Some of you are some seasoned saints that got wisdom. You need to be passing it down to some of the students and the young adults and some of the singles and some of the young married. Invite them over for dinner and pass down that wisdom. You know, Uh, invite me over and pass down some wisdom. I need it. I mean, you know, but we need to be a community of passing wisdom down to one another. That's what the church does. And praise his holy name that we're all gathered together. We can we can meet someone you've never met. Right. You you see someone you've never met. Get a chance to introduce yourself and have an opportunity to pass down the wisdom of God. We need each other. Let's make sure that we're a healthy church of passing around wisdom to the glory of God. But in the end, don't be the fool. Don't be the one that pursues knowledge under the sun only to lose your soul and forfeit everything in the end. If you've not accepted Christ, that's the true expression of the fear of the Lord. I would encourage you to do that today. Because even as Solomon said in Proverbs 13, 13, the one who despises the word will be in debt to it. You will be in debt to this word that you despise if you remain in that state. But if you receive Jesus Christ, guess what? He pays that debt. In a moment, we're about to celebrate communion and think about what Christ has done. He took that debt in our place and he gave us his righteousness. You don't have to remain in that state. You accept him. And then you have life that starts now and is unbroken by death. And you'll get a chance to live out the wisdom of God. Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's make sure that we make it our ambition to be the wise man. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for all that you do in our life. We thank you for the goodness of your character and all that you bring. And I just ask right now that you would help us to to make it our desire that we would pursue you. Pursue the, the fear that doesn't paralyze us to inaction, but that it promotes us to greater godliness and holiness and righteousness by pursuing Christ and looking to him. And then I pray, Lord, that as we navigate through the the Proverbs this summer, Lord, and hit various themes, that you would help us to have skillful living, to understand that the knowledge of God is, is very much practical. It helps us to be able to make good and wise decisions in everyday circumstances of life. We love you, Lord, and we praise you, and we ask that Jesus Christ would be exalted in this church. And all God's people said, amen.